Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live, featuring Dr. David Wilson, we continue our study called Hope, the series in 1 Peter. This week we're in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. As the Apostle Peter writes to suffering Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor, he offers words of encouragement and instruction, specifically behavior among believers. What attitudes and character qualities in Christians will best uplift one another and exemplify Jesus Christ? How are Christians to respond when the world hates and reviles them? Let's listen in on this week's message, Behavior Among Believers, from Dr. David Wilson. 1 Peter chapter 3. He'd been talking to a group of people who'd been scattered. They've been going through a difficult time. He mentioned how to deal with the government and all the authority over us. Then he talked about at work being the best employee or employer. Then he talked about home, husbands and wives. Today, he's going to cover the rest of us. He's going to talk about how do you get along with other Christians? Does it matter? How do you get along in church? I uh, am so thankful that you young ladies and young men are in here. I, I remember some of the most difficult time in my life were... 7th, 8th, and ninth grade. And I know you go 6th, 7th, and 8th now. That seemed to be a cruel time. People weren't very nice to one another. And people can be mean. And I still, I, I want you to know, even as an adult, you still carry the scars, the emotional scars that you have. And folks, what I want you to understand is that how you treat other people does matter. It does matter. You think that you, it doesn't bother anyone. Yeah, it does. And now we have a day of social media where you can do it online and do it real cowardly. <laughs> Instead of looking at somebody face-to-face, now you just smear their name around. And it's incredible how ugly people can be. Well, would you stand while I read two verses, verse 8 and 9? Finally. And since he's talking to the groups, he said, finally, all of you be of one mind. Having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil, nor reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Let's pray. God, please help us to be loving, kind, humble people and to treat one another with dignity. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Tom Rayner, who's the president of Lifeway, has a blog and he also does some stuff online all the time and, and he writes to pastors and all and he's got a Twitter account. And about three years ago in a, in a I guess you would say, innocuous Twitter survey, a, a sample or an innocent Twitter survey, he just said, 
Those of you who are church leaders and those of you who are church members, can you mention ways that there's been conflict in your church? A church fight or a split or a, a dividing. And he listed, he picked the top 25. I'm not going to read 25, but, but I want you to listen to what, he, this thing blew up on Twitter. In fact, he, it was so surprising to him, he mentioned about 25 of them, and I picked a few out of it. But listen to what people in church fight over. Arguments over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. A deacon accusing another deacon of sending an anonymous letter and deciding to settle the matter in the parking lot. A church dispute of whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the women's restroom. A church argument and vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. A 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase, either black or brown, or two, three, or four drawers. A fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. I've wondered who took those pictures. A A dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service. A big, a big church argument over the discovery that the church budget was off 10 cents. Someone finally gave a dime to settle the issue. Arguments over what type of green beans the church should serve. Two different churches reported fights over the types of coffee. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand. In the other church, they simply moved to a stronger blend. Members left the church because of it. Major conflict when the youth, don't do this. Major conflict when the youth borrowed a crock pot that had not been used for years. An argument on whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. Or a disagreement over the term pot luck instead of pot blessing. A church member was chastised because she brought vanilla syrup to the coffee server. It looked too much like liquor. An argument over whether to have gluten-free communion bread or not. A dispute over whether the church should allow people to wear black t-shirts since black is the color of the devil. I thought it was red. (laughs) An argument over whether the fake dusty plants should be removed from the podium. And on and on the list goes. There was a debate. By the way, there was a, a petition. One of them said a petition on whether to make sure all the pastoral staff was clean shaven. Isn't it amazing what people fight over? It's amazing. You get 50 people together and you call it a Baptist church. They all disagree. You put two Baptists in the same room, there'll be three opinions. I promise you. Now, I've I've been in church all my life, so I know people can fight over the silliest things. Peter begins to write here finally, and he's talking to this group of people who've been displaced. They've been scattered abroad. They're living in strange places. They're being persecuted. They're 
They're being ridiculed and hurt in so many ways. And he said, look, finally, all of you together, you need to hang together. You need to at least love one another. And so there's several things I want you to notice. First of all, how are we going to fellowship with believers? How are we going to act together? There should be solidarity. Now, he says, all of you be of the same mind. Does that mean we're all supposed to think the same thing? No. He's not talking about uniformity. He's talking about unity. Because let's face it, everyone in here is different. We like different colors. We could start a big fight in here. If, if we started talking about politics or we started talking about what schools you ought to go to or we start talking about all kinds of things, it doesn't matter. We can start a fight over what color something should be or, or what we should eat, which kind of clothing styles you should wear on Sunday, where to send our kids to school, what to watch on television, what's acceptable amusement, what kind of worship style do you have, what kind of music should we have, and on and on and on and go. And who's in my seat and not? We are crazy. Because I want to tell you, as church, as a, as a body of believers, we are outnumbered in the world. Have you noticed? We need to stick together. Solidarity. Peter calls for unity. The word like-minded means to think the same, not necessarily agree with everything, but be of the same mind. And the only way that you can do that is to know Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.5 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so in Christ's name, and because we're all believers, and because we come to Christ the same way by faith, we can overlook secondary issues. Start asking yourself this question. Is what I'm upset over really going to matter in eternity? Ask yourself that question. When you start getting upset about something, is this really going to matter in eternity? Now, obviously, salvation is going to matter in eternity in the gospel. But is it going to matter what time we have the services? I mean, after all, you folks are all renegades because I tell you, when I was growing up, the, the magic hour that was in the Bible was 11 o'clock. <laughs> and then we got really liberal and went to 10.50, 10.45. Does it really matter in eternity? No. Don't you like, I, I know we get to enjoy the orchestra every week. And y'all have a great band in the venue, so I'm not, it's not discounting that. But let's talk about the orchestra a minute. Lots of different people up here playing different instruments. Got piano, had guitars, bass, drums, violins, trumpets, trombones, French horn, bassoons, all kinds of things in there. All those instruments are different. They all make a different sound. But they were all of the same mind. And when they're all of the same mind, they make beautiful sound, don't they? Well, that's how we are as a, ch as a church. We're, we're, we, make, we, we make different kinds of sounds. We have different gifts. But we have the same mind. That is to reach the world for Christ and to bring people to Jesus. Romans 15, 5 says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you 
to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just a moment ago, we were standing and singing. We were of one mind. We were all glorifying the Lord singing, even though we're all different. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there are no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Are you helping to create unity? Not uniformity. Uniformity means we're all the clones. Do you help create unity? It does matter what you do. I'm sorry that a lot of you young people are never going to see a circus. You've probably read about them. Some of you may have already seen one, but they're pretty much going by the wayside now because of a lot of other things in the world. But you take a circus like Ringling Brothers and all of that group, sometimes when they would come to a small town many years ago, there would be a parade right up Main Street to let everybody know the circus was in town. You ever seen one of those parades or seen pictures of it? Or, or you can YouTube it probably and see it now. You see all the elephants. You know, the elephants are all marching together with their holding the tail of the elephant in front of them and they're all lined up and you've got all these other animals and all that. If you've never seen any of it, it's a pretty, pretty good sight to behold. But in a small town, a circus came. They were having a parade right up the main street. Because this town was pretty small, the main street pretty much divided both halves of the town. And so with this parade going up the street, you couldn't get from one side to the other. And a businessman who had been out of town came in and needed to get to his office, but it was on the other side of Main Street. And he was stuck in his car, and he needed to get to this call where it was going to come in a few minutes. And he couldn't get across the street. He looked up the street, saw the elephants coming. He remembered reading, there's 12 elephants in this circus. So he decided when that 12th elephant comes by, I'm going to floor it and get across the street so I can get to my place of business. He counted them when they came by. After the 12th elephant came by, he floored it. But to his surprise, there was a 13th elephant they had added. (laughs) He hit that elephant broadside, knocked it on its side, killed it. He got out, his car was crushed. Everything was awful. Everything had stopped. The manager of the circus came running up to this man and said, you have ruined us. You've ruined the circus. We're not going to be able to function. And the businessman said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'll I'll pay for this elephant. How much is this elephant? He said, $250,000. The businessman said, man, I did not realize that elephant cost so much. He said, oh, you don't understand. You not only killed this elephant, You pull the tails out of the other 12. (laughs) Just look it up. You'll understand it later. I'm saying that to say this. When you and I, something happens to us, it should affect everyone else. That's unity. Some missionaries in the Philippines... We're teaching a group of people called the Agatai Negrito people how to play croquet. Now, you've not ever played croquet, probably. Croquet has these little wire uh, arches. They're called wickets. 
You stick them in the ground all over the yard. You've got a ball and a, and a mallet that you hit this ball. It's not a golf club because it's a big round ball. And you hit, this mallet, you hit the ball and you're supposed to hit it through the different wickets. And then you win. And if you hit another ball, if you've got another, just say Richard's out there playing with me and Richard's ball is there and I knock my ball up to Richard and hit his ball, then I can put my ball up against his and I can take the mallet and I can whack it and knock him down the street if I can so that I'll have a better chance of beating him through all of the wickets. Are you with me? Y'all probably have a video game like this. I don't know. Well, the, the missionary was talking to one of the Negrito people. And you got to understand, these people, this guy's standing here in a loincloth. These, these folks are from the jungle. And he's saying, now listen, you can take and hit this ball and, and knock your, your, your friend's ball over here. And, and he kind of looked at him and, and he shook his head like, why would I want to do that? Because in a... A place where he lived, where competition is generally ruled out because they survive by working together to hunt and get food and bring in food. So the game continued on and they never did knock anybody else out of the deal. And when the first man finished, he went, he dropped his mallet and he went back and encouraged his next one and showed him how to hit it and, and gave him pointers. And then when the next one got out, they all kept doing that until the last person got his ball through the wicket. The last person. And as soon as that ball went through the last wicket, they all jumped up and down and said, we won, we won. Well, folks, that's how a church is. That's the body of Christ. We're in it together. We're not here competing with one another to see who's going to get ahead. We're here together to reach the world for Christ. And when somebody comes into the, the kingdom of God by receiving Christ, and, and when, when we see God advancing his kingdom together, we can say, we won. We won with Jesus. There's got to be solidarity. We need each other. Be of one mind. He said there also should be sympathy, having compassion. The New King James Version says the word is, the, the Greek word for sympathy or compassion is sympathes. Sounds like sympathy. You know what that means? Here's a simple way to remember it You're hurt in my heart. You're hurt in my heart. To have compassion, to have sympathy, to rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep, Romans 12, 15. It means to share in the joys and sorrows around you. It doesn't mean being insensitive and callous and indifferent or cynical. You see, where there's competition and where there's jealousy and where there's selfishness, you have no compassion. You have no sympathy. Sympathy comes from the heart where Jesus is Lord. Sympathy is the one, it comes from the Holy Spirit who gives us compassion. Today, there is a term being used. Some people have compassion fatigue. And what they mean is, I'm so tired of seeing the need around me and I can't meet all of it, so I don't want to meet any of it. I just want to live my life with all of my abundant blessings and I don't want to see any of this stuff. And I can now get on the interstate and bypass all the poor neighborhoods and so forth and so on. And we sort of get compassion fatigue. But for Christians, 
God puts a love in our heart and a sympathy and a compassion that because he has compassion and sympathy for people. You're hurt in my heart. There should be sympathy. But when we're selfish and we're self-centered and all we can think about is ourselves, we don't care about anyone else. I don't care if anybody else is hurting. I've got my own problems. I'm hurting myself. I don't care if anyone else is hurting. The third thing is there's got to be selflessness. Verse 8 says, love as brothers. Do you, do you guys have a sibling? Got a brother or sister? I have a younger brother who's three years younger than me. I have a sister who's nine years younger than me. So my brother, Jerry, and I were the ones that grew up together. My sister was just too little to be in the mix. We didn't get to fight with her much. We were out of the house by the time she was nine or ten years old. But my brother and me, we learned a lot of social skills together. (laughs) My parents wondered if we would ever like each other. But I can tell you today that my brother, I love my brother. I love being with my brother because he and I are from the same womb. That's what brother means, to be from the same womb. Sister would also mean that. We are all from the same womb. That is when it comes to being born again, we have been born again through Jesus. No one in here who's saved was saved differently circumstances leading to your salvation may have been different. But when it came right to it, you repented of your sin. You asked God to forgive you. You received Jesus Christ as your Savior. As a result of receiving Christ by faith, you want to be baptized. It's not optional, by the way. It's not an elective. Listen, when you give your life to Jesus, aren't you glad he didn't say, go out here and stand in the middle of the loop and wave your hands when show everybody you've been saved. Because we'd all do it. He said, I want you to be baptized. And people identify you as one of those Christians when they see you being baptized. It doesn't save you, but it's not optional. It does not wash away sin. Only Jesus Christ shed blood on a cross washes away sin. But I want to tell you, when you are saved, you want to be baptized. It's one of the proofs you are saved. Well... There's got to be selflessness. In fact, he says, and look back at chapter 1, verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Selflessness. Third grade Sunday school teacher had been talking about honoring father and mother and the commandments. And then she said, is there a commandment that pertains to your brother or sister? One little girl said, thou shalt not kill. <laughs> I want to tell you, sometimes when you fight with your siblings, you want to kill them. But don't you mess with my brother. You see, we get so selfish. As I've already said, you're not going to agree with every Christian in here. You're not going to agree on everything. You don't have to like every Christian. You have to love them as a brother. Or sister, you know, I, I, sometimes people get on your last nerve, don't they? Some people have no sense of you've talking too much. Shut up, please. 
You ever been around somebody that just won't stop? (laughs) You know I'm telling the truth, don't you? And then there's some people who don't have any social skills. They They just don't. They're hard to be kind to, aren't they? But selflessness, it, it, 1 John 4.20 says if a man, that's anybody, if a, if a person says, I love God and hates his brother or sister, you know, what, you know what John said? He said he's a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he sees, how can he love God who he's not seen? Jesus said, one of the proofs that you're my child is that you'll love one another. The verse also says there should be sensitivity. Look at verse 8. Be tender-hearted. Sometimes it means pitiful. Now, when you and I use the word pitiful, we're meaning they're just really bad. They're just pitiful. But that's not what this word means. To be Tender-hearted means to be full of pity. Now, I don't mean anything. Listen to me explain this whole thing before you think I've gone off the deep end. It comes from two words. One of them meaning good. One of them meaning bowels. This is probably not the right topic to talk about with middle school. But listen to me. Here's why it says this. The Greeks believed that the deepest emotions you have, love, hatred, mercy, compassion, uh, some of the deep emotions that we we talk about, uh, anger, all didn't come from the heart or the mind. They came from the intestines. Why? Why would they think that? Well, let me ask you something. When you get real nervous, where do you feel it the most? Oh, man, my stomach hurts. I'm so nervous. We're going to have this test. My stomach, see, it, it seems like the deepest emotions we have show up here. And so the word sympathies means to have pity. It's the opposite of, of uncaring. It's the opposite of hard-heartedness. And some of us become calloused. Another way to describe it, there's two kinds of laughs. You got this laugh that some of y'all have done this morning when you're just being kind. <laughs> and then there's a belly laugh. You ever laugh with a belly laugh? I mean, you laugh so hard, your tears come out of your eyes, and, and, you're, and you really feel good after it because you have, your body's released endorphins, and your muscles have relaxed, and you feel better. That's why the scripture says laughter is good medicine because of the deep-seated. But you and I need to understand that other people come in here with all kinds of issues. But we get calloused to that. You see, we, we're so self-centered. All, nobody, we, we come in with this attitude, nobody in this room, nobody in this room has it as bad as I do. 
They don't. They just have no idea. If people in this room know how bad it was, everybody around be, be hold, holding on to me, helping me. Nobody knows how bad it is. Every, every week, we have this communication card, and right here it says prayer requests. People turn in prayer requests, and we have a group of people on Tuesday morning that take those prayer requests and pray over them. I look at those prayer requests, and I want you to know it's incredible the need that's in this room right now. It's incredible. You would not believe some of the issues that people are going through. But if you look around, everybody looks like they pretty much have it together, don't they? Everybody looks pretty good. Everybody's got it together in here. But there are people sitting out there going, I am hurting so deeply and there are things, so many things going on in my life and I'm afraid to share it because I don't think anybody will really ever care. But to have a sensitivity means that we begin to notice people around us who are hurting. Sometimes if somebody's just quiet, it may be that they're an introvert and they just need somebody to be nice to them. But sometimes people are hurting and they're thinking, I just wish I could talk to somebody, but will anybody care? That comic strip, for better or for worse, Elizabeth saddles up to her brother Michael. Michael does a typical brother thing. She says, get away from me. Don't get up close to me. So she goes in there and tries to get up close to her mom. And mom says, not now, honey. I'm trying to get dinner on the table. And then she finds her dad who's reading the paper. And he, she's just standing there. And finally, he puts the paper down and says, Elizabeth, what is it? And she said, Dad, do you have any hugs to spare? Well, I want to tell you, there are people who come in here and they're wondering if anybody has any kind of hug to spare. And not just a physical hug. I'm talking about a caring, sensitive, spiritual hug. Because every Sunday when you walk in this building, there are people around you who may be crying on the inside. Not everyone. But some people are hurting. And if there's ever a place that they ought to be able to come and somebody cares, it ought to be church. One of the reasons I keep telling you folks, get in a Sunday school class. Get in a life group. Get in a small group. They know your name. They will care. They will help you when you need it the most. If you're just lost in this crowd, you'll fall through the cracks. You're going to think nobody cares. Well, in a crowd this size, you've got to be in a smaller group. And that's why I try to encourage you. But we need to be people who are sensitive to other people. People have feelings. And then he goes on to say, be courteous. There's got to be self-awareness. Now, it's a strange word to be courteous. Sometimes it's, it's translated be humble. Being courteous in this word means more than acting like a lady or a gentleman. It actually comes from the word mind. means lowliness of mind. But the Greek word means to have a mindset not rising far above the ground. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Where do you think that comes from? When you see the word pride in the Bible, we know that we're warned not to be lifted up. Pride lifts us up. But this word means to not lift high off the ground. What did God use to create us? 
dirt, dust. Man, there's a lot of people in this area waiting to be created, aren't there? If God used all the dust in Lubbock, we'd have a population explosion. But we're made out of the dust. And Psalms tells us that, that, that we're, uh, made, we're children of the dust. Psalm 103, 14, God remembers. He knows that we're dust. We're little lumps of dust. And one of these days, we're going to disappear off of this earth. Everybody in here is a little lump of dust. Don't lift yourself too high off the ground. That's what it means. Don't think more of yourself than you ought to think. It means to be aware of our creatureliness. If you don't hear anything I say, hear this. Don't ever look at anyone else as inferior to you because they're not. They may not have the same abilities you have. They may not have the same gifting that you have. They may not come from the same background or the same economics or the same cultures or whatever it might be. But every person on this earth is just a little lump of dust. We're not better than each other. So when we treat one another, we're supposed to treat each other with dignity, aren't we? The self-awareness comes from meaning I'm just another person, just like this is a person. I want to tell you, I didn't get treated that way in middle school. And I want to tell you, we don't treat that way. We don't treat each other that way in church many times. We, it's not that we're just hateful people, but, but we come in and say, you're in my spot. Do you, are you beginning to get, I don't like that? Are, are you beginning to get, do you know why I don't like it? Because it's not your spot. It's a spot you may or may not get to sit in. A child once prayed, oh, Lord, make the bad people good and the good people nice. Courtesy. It's that quality that keeps a woman smiling when a departing guest stands at the open door and is letting the flies in. People are hard to like. But you need to remember, remember, you're just a person like them. So don't ever think I'm so much better than you. Because God, in God's eyes, the ground is level. He loves every, every believer the same. There are no favorites. Is anybody happier because you passed his way? Does anybody remember that you spoke to him today? This day's almost over and it's toiling time is through. Is there anyone to utter now a friendly word for you? Can you say tonight in passing with the day that slipped so fast that you helped a single person of the many that you passed? Is a single heart rejoicing over what you did or said? Does one whose hopes were fading now with courage look ahead? 
Did you waste the day or lose it? Was it well or poorly spent? Did you leave a trail of kindness or a scar of discontent? Folks, listen to me. When you come in this building, don't walk down the hall and not be kind to people. Well, I'm, a, I'm an introvert. Well, get over it. <laughs> All of us are introverted to some degree. But when you come to the, the place where, the one place where people are here, we've got the same mind. We're here to honor who? The Lord. And you can smile. Smiles are free. Look somebody in the eye and smile. Say, hello, glad you're here. But everybody walks by like zombies. Remember who you are. Remember these are people. The la- the, there's got to be self-control and self-sacrifice. The last thing, look at verse 9. This is a hard one here. Verse 9 says, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Go back up to verse 23 of chapter 2. This is where Jesus was done wrong. And it says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Well, there's a negative and a positive command. First, the word, first the word evil means base or mean. When people are mean to you, don't be mean to them in return. And reviling means the, the most harmful or the most hurtful words that can be thrown at you or written about you or Twittered about you or Instagrammed about you or Facebooked about you or whatever it is you do. Don't return it. Because now with social media, we can do anything we want. We can be so brave and just blast people on it and send it out there. Let me tell you, as Christians, we're not supposed to do that. Jesus, there was no one that suffered more injustice than Jesus. And he didn't, re, he didn't revile in return. He says, first of all, when we, when we're, when we don't retaliate when somebody does something evil against us. But that's the normal thing. Can you imagine the Christians in Peter's day where some of them were called Christian dogs? Can you imagine Peter going, well, you're a pagan pig. <laughs> Peter said... Don't return evil for evil. How are people going to know you're different unless you respond with a blessing? So the negative is don't return evil for evil. And the positive one is bless those who mistreat us. I don't want to bless somebody who mistreats me. I don't want to bless somebody who has said evil things about me and maligned me. And when they say stuff like that, Lord... Okay, you tell me to pray for them. Listen to what Jesus said. Luke 6, 27, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. You know how I want to pray for those who curse me? I want to say, Lord, I pray for oh so-and-so. I pray you will smite him dead. That's called an imprecatory prayer. It doesn't go very far usually. When we get bitter, it's hard to pray for people we don't want to forgive and be bitter. But I want to tell you something. Here's, how it'll hap- Here's what will happen if you'll do it. Prayer goes something like this. Lord, you know, oh, so-and-so, and you know how angry I am toward them right now. I am angry. I don't like them. But, Lord, I'm going to ask you to help me. 
in my anger. And I'm going to ask you to do something for them that will bring them to you or bless them somehow. And you start praying that way, as hard as it is, then all of a sudden you're going to feel things starting to loosen up in your own life. And your feelings will begin to change. And the freedom and the joy of the Lord can return in your own heart. And then he goes on to say, you will inherit a blessing. That you may inherit a blessing. I don't know what that blessing is going to be. I don't know. Maybe it's going to be one day when you see Jesus, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know what it'll be. But I do know the other side because I sure want to return evil for evil. I sure want to retaliate. And only, only the Lord in you can keep you from doing that. You can't do this on your own. So it involves self-control, but it also involves self-sacrificing. You see, Lord, help me not to retaliate. And then, Lord, I'm going to pray. Pray for them. I'm going, to, I'm going to eulogize them. You know what a eulogy is? The word here is, is you, um, we get our word eulogy from that. And it, it means you say good things about someone. Usually it's done at a funeral. When, we, when the Bible says we're supposed to bless God, it means we're supposed to say good things to him, about him. Well, when we bless others, we respond with kindness, we respond with self-control, we pray for them. It's hard to do. But that's how we're supposed to treat each other. So when you come in here, somebody may get on your last nerve. Be kind. Somebody may need a hug. Somebody may need you to pray with them. Be sensitive. Be loving. Listen, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad you're not the only one in here today? Can you imagine being the only one in here and I'm preaching to you only? Aren't you glad there's some other sinners in this room getting some of this? <laughs> I'm glad we're not alone. I'm glad we're together. Would you bow your heads with me? When the world squeezes Christians, what sort of responses should come out? According to the Apostle Peter, we should possess a unity of mind, be compassionate, full of brotherly love, tenderhearted, courteous, merciful. Quite a contrast to the expected human response when a person is treated wrongfully. In fact, Peter tells us to be a blessing, a constant blessing, returning good for evil done to us. A challenge for Christians both in Peter's day and in ours, but certainly something achievable in the power of God's Holy Spirit. Be sure to join us again for our next installment of Hope, a series on 1 Peter.